Oh, you didn't want to start halfway through the show this time? Not this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Man, I can tell this one's fake by the name. (laughs) It's going to be the one that's real. (laughs) Which one is it? The witch nun of Arinshoop. The w- okay, that one someone's gonna have to take. <laughs> the witch of Arinshoop. This one might be real, actually. I'm, you know what? I'm not even gonna talk about it. Pedro Blanco, the death dog. Dun, dun, dun. That the literal ghost to oh the literal ghost town okay I was like you can't even pronounce town what's going on (laughs) it cut off I was just reading the things on the email I wasn't opening them up (sighs) alright so Whenever y'all y'all want to go ahead and get get started, since this is probably gonna take a while. <laughs> yep. All right. Let me take a drink of my circle. Hang on. See, I got my first squishmallow for Christmas. Oh, look at that! It's it's a Ravenclaw because that's my Harry Potter house. Nice. That's what <laughs> mine is on the game. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, as we smart, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what house I am. I'm just a muggle. Yeah, you're the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> the janitorial house. <laughs> <laughs> Out there with his mop. <laughs> it starts looking like what was that fucking Mickey Mouse movie? He like made oh. all the broom mops and shit start oh, dancing. Oh yeah, Fantasia, Fantasia, yeah. Fantasia. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Paranormal Minds. How are y'all doing today? I'm doing good. My name is Tommy. And as always, I'm here with my two best friends, even though they're complete assholes, Josh and Shane. Hi. Fuck your life. What did he just say? Uh, Something about eating donuts. I don't know. Donut? What? (laughs) I said, fuck your life. Uh, Oh, I just heard life. I don't know. What else? I like, thought he was saying I was his life. I was like, whoa, dude. I need to be louder sure. with my obscenities. I'm sorry. You, you do. Right. <clears throat> what is it? Enunciate. Enunciate. Fuck. Fuck <laughs> your life. life. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways, so everybody out there in the real world, um, we have a very special, special episode for y'all tonight. As tonight is our fourth season finale, 
And I figured, because it's my time to do it, to um, actually uh, outsource my work and give it to my beautiful wife, who is super smart and amazing. And she wants us to play a game. So, in this game, we will have five stories that we have to discuss. Now, we don't know which ones are fake and which ones are real. She does. And we have to figure it out. We'll vote on it or decide on it. And, yeah, at the end, she will uh, send me a text and we will know. But here are the rules. Um, Tommy asked me to put together this little ditty. So here we go. At 1800 p.m. for uh, Cretans, um, I'll send you guys the case files. There will be five accounts of paranormal happenings. I will not be telling you the ratio of real to fake. It could be four to one, three to two, two to three, or one to four. I will tell you they, <clears throat> they are not all real, nor are they all fake. I like to think Tommy married me because I'm nice, and that would just be cruel. I did marry her because she's nice. But um, you will not be allowed to Google, Bing, or ask Jeeves, even if he is still around. You will only be allowed to rely on what is in the case files and bouncing ideas off one another to determine the validity of each case. You'll make your guesses. <clears throat> we do not have to agree on the case. Guess we can all each have our own guess uh, about each case, and when you're ready for the results, Tommy will shoot me a text. Bada bing, bada boom. I'll send you res the results, and Bob's your uncle. All right, those are the rules. So now we have five stories, and I guess we're gonna do a randomizer to choose which one of us gets it but who goes first you hey it's your your host night <laughs> all right well shane you got the randomizer do you want to share it yes all right i get to be a who's the wheel spinner vanna white no she's the letter no, flipper. yeah yeah they all spin the wheel so he just wants to be Vanna White. Just let, just let him be Vanna White. Okay, fine. I'm not saying he can't be Vanna White. All right. I'm putting on my sparkly dress now. All right. Ooh. And uh, here's my pretty wheel that I made. It took me hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first story is... 13, 13 seconds before we started this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. The Wandering Ghost of Boudica. I love the little cheers. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> All right. Remove it. So, um, my son is yelling. So, anyways. So, who was Boudica? In short, Boudica was a warrior queen. However, if <clears throat> this was... Ah, however, if this were that short, there wouldn't be a good explanation of why her ghost appears at of uh, at all of the places it shows up. 
Boudicca was queen of the... Okay, now she gave me a word I can't pronounce. Ixini. I got that wrong. Anyways, a Celtic tribe in what is today East Anglia. She and her husband, King Pat... This is not going well. She and her husband <laughs> were happy to have two beautiful daughters. They were all loved by their people, and all was well until her husband, the king, died one day in 60 AD. Uh, then everything went sideways. An attempt to make sure her people uh, were kept safe during Roman occupa- occupation of Britannia, <clears throat> as it was known at the time, uh, the king had declared Emperor Nero, of all people, co-heir with his daughters. Well, this did not sit well with the governor of Britannia, um, Suetonius Polyninimus. <laughs> She's going to kill me when she hears this. So he sent Roman soldiers to the tribe to ruin everyone's day. You know, while they were grieving their fallen king, husband, and father, uh, the shows the soldiers showed up, ransacked the tribal lands, beat random tribe members, defiled Boudicca's daughters, and publicly flogged the queen. Then they left, declaring the lands uh, for Sutanius Polemus and taking some other Iknini chiefs, their family uh, and their families to be treated as slaves. They were not aware at the time. They decided to play a stupid game, and they were currently unaware that day that Boudicca would be personally delivering them to their supremely stupid prize. Uh, Boudicca traveled to other Celtic tribes and met with other leaders. She ended up rallying the support of uh, the fellow Encini and the terrible other tribes to the south, which was interesting because the two groups weren't exactly friends. They had a history of their own, but when she showed up, uh, she wanted to throw down with the Romans. Uh, they were all inclined to join her because the Romans were basically the house guests and refused to leave their home at this point. And so they set out on a campaign of righteous terror against the Romans and their strongholds. Um, they hit uh, Candemum so hard that the imperial agents turned tail and bounced uh, <clears throat> over all the way to Gaul which is now France, uh, Londinium, yes, London, and Valerian, yeah, I can't pronounce these words, um, or ransacked village and basically reduced to smoldering toothpicks. Roman cemetery statues, monuments were generally anything that looked marble and pretentious in their path were obliterated. This continued to 61 AD. Unfortunately, all good things come to an end, it would seem. Not even a noble cause is immune to that possibility. 10,000 Roman soldiers were deployed against the Britons. According to Tactasius, 80,000 Britons were... Whether they were fighting on the battlefield that day or not, so yes, children as well were killed. Allegedly, only about 400 Roman soldiers managed to die. Reports varied on what happened to Boudicca and her daughters that day, and it seemingly un—it seemingly known that Boudicca had her daughters with her in her chariot before the battle, rallying the troops. It is known they fought. However, while the most popular account as her taking poison when 
the battle was lost rather than being captured by the Romans. Uh, there are other ideas, such as she was she died in battle, uh, that she was wounded in the battle and died shortly after, or even that she managed to live and simply quietly slip away without causing waves after. There is no report of her being captured, however. Uh, the Roman occupation of Britain, of Britain ended in 409 AD. A statue of Boudicca in her chariot was placed outside the House of Parliament along the uh, Thames in London in 1902. And now for the haunting. So where does the ghost of the Essene warrior queen Boudicca appear? The shorter list would be where she doesn't, it would seem. She's been reported in, at, or around Eping Forest, Espden, Cameron Ham, or uh, Cameron Ham, Lincolnshire, Amserbury, I am butchering all this, Essex for Hillfort, uh, King's Cross Station. I'll get to that because, yes, it is a reference in Harry Potter. Uh, I included the most retrable, uh, I can't talk tonight. And famous sightings on this list, though I do have an obvious bone to pick about one of them, which I feel is the one of the most famous and yet least likely. When Boudicca is spotted in these locations, she's hardly ever alone. She's uh, been seen leading some Britain troops, walking with her daughters, riding in her chariot with or without her daughters, fighting some Roman troops, or simply just patrolling about. She was a distinctive woman flowing red hair often described to be like a mane of fire and taller than the average woman especially the average woman of her day decked out in iron age britain armor she's obviously going to stick out as far as appearances go because she simply wouldn't look like any random person walking through a forest or over a hillside in our modern world the obvious idea for why Boudicca has been seen at so many locations and always either fighting or clearly dressed expecting one is that even in death, Boudicca still patrols the lands on which she fought while alive, ready to kick some Roman ass if need be. She never rests, spending her afterlife patrolling Britain and guarding it to this day. And why she's allegedly at King's uh, Cross Station? I highly doubt she is. Um, the random theory was tossed out in 1937 by Louis Spy, uh, Spence. He decided that the last battle against the Romans was fought on what is now the site of King's Cross Station, and that, for some reason, she was also buried there. Why did he toss that idea out, out there? No clue. There's obviously no evidence to suggest that. However, she, he suggested that not only was that where the battle happened, but that he knew almost exactly the spot she was buried. According to him, she was buried under either Platform 9 or 10. His wild idea became super popular after World War II, and naturally, Platform 9 and 3 quarters is where the Hogwarts Express departs from King's Cross Station in the world of Harry Potter, so her ghost would be there. Also, due to this harebrained idea, and possibly because of the popularity of Harry Potter, 
for more recent generations, Boudicca's ghost has been seen spotted around King's Cross Station. I'm going to go ahead and say this is the least likely haunting, and here's why. We don't actually know for certain where the last battle was fought, and we definitely don't know how, uh, don't know where Boudicca is buried. I mentioned the Roman historian Tacticius earlier. He's the main reason people believe Boudicca took poison. In all likelihood, if the Romans didn't capture her, they probably just wanted to believe she was dead. If they'd found her body, they'd likely have recorded uh, during some uber-Roman stuff, like hanging it up somewhere as a warning to others. Whether they had killed her or she died from poison being irrelevant. Another historian, Cassius Dio, who was Greek and less likely to claim victory for the Romans, <clears throat> um, and Apsina of I can't talk tonight of real evidence she either died in battle or took poison. Claimed Boudica and her daughters lived after the battle. He said she died of illness at some point, which much later was given a burial fit for a Briton queen. He just didn't say where. Whether she died in battle, drank poison after the battle, or died of illness quietly in her bed somewhere, we have no idea where she's buried. That has never stopped people from speculating. However, almost every idea put forth, no matter how silly, has usually included her spirit being spotted as well. Uh, Stonehenge was once proposed as her burial site in the 17th century until they figured out how old it was. There's an Iron Age burial mound in Hampstead Health, uh, also in London, known as Boudicca's Grave, and there is... Um, not now, nor has there ever been any reason to believe Boudicca is the one buried there. In fact, archaeological digs would suggest it's definitely not her. Some have speculated she was probably among the remains of some Romans found at an archaeological site next to a McDonald's in uh, Birmingham. Of all places, guess what? Nope. The most compelling argument for a possible burial location for Boudicca comes from uh, Gloucestershire from the Birdlip Graves. However, there isn't really any way to know that she's the one they think might be. Uh, she might be. But, of course, her ghost showed up there too, so why not? Maybe the point of Boudicca's ghost patrolling around Britain isn't really so full of romanticized notions as I tossed out earlier. Maybe she just doesn't know where she's buried either, and she's just looking for her burial site too. Ancient Druid site, a train station, a Mickey, uh, Mickey D's. Wherever we hope to find her, there she will be. So, what do you think? Is this real? Is this a real paranormal story, or is it perhaps one of the fakes? If you guys think it's real, what are your thoughts on the sightings of Boudicca's ghost? Why do you think she appears in so many places, and where do you think her most likely burial is? If it's out of these up uh, opinions. I'll say the bird lip graves simply based on what they found there. Celtic arts and items of finery dating from around the current time of when she might have died as well as the remains of a woman of her status. The history buff in me thinks it's still probably not her though. So that's it. That's the story of Boudicca. I got drinks. So when you said Birmingham, my first thought was Alabama. Like, why did we <laughs> jump to a McDonald's in Alabama from Stonehenge? 
because she came over on the Mayflower to get some of that murk of freedom. Gross. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, this feels very Doctor Who to me, honestly. Does it? Yeah, it's a, I, like a story, you know, the doctor comes and has to investigate this wandering ghost of, of Boudicca, right? Yeah. And goes all over, and it turns out it's somebody that was trapped mid-teleport, and that's why they <laughs> pop up all over the place. Mm. Uh, doctor Who's going to steal that. They're going to make it a whole episode now. Mm-hmm. Big gummit. Copyright this. <laughs> um, I mean... I don't know. I do find it interesting. I mean, if you march all over Britain, you know, who's to say where, you know, little skirmishes and stuff happened? You know, there's a lot of battles that take place we don't really know too much about. So. Yeah. And if she was, in fact, like a warrior queen, she would have, you know, that's how she would have lived in death, too. She would have mm. been. Yeah. So. I seem to write off the rip, though, Peg, that this doesn't follow the behavior of ghosts. Mm. Like, traveling ghosts are usually tied to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my that's my initial thought, is what we know, what we've discussed about ghosts, they're tied to a place, they're tied to an object. Um, I like the story, though, you know, that, but I think it's too story-like. Mm. So I, I'm gonna go ahead and said say fake. Now we can keep talking about it, but this was <laughs> fake. Shane's made up his mind. <laughs> I I'm gonna say uh, that you know dealing with druids around that time that she was alive. I mean, you're talking about different types of mysticism involved in it. So, I mean, there could be a possibility that they maybe cast a spell after she died or did some mysticism or whatever. And that allows her to walk through Britain, protecting Britain. So I'm, I'm going to say it's probably real. Well, she's not doing a good job. Well, I mean, there's only so much you could do against like blitz screens and stuff. And <laughs> well, well, what's the point of the spell then? It's like, we cast a spell but, so you I can mean, protect Britain. <laughs> I mean, you know, what can, you know, back then that was like over thousands of years ago. So they definitely had no idea about like modern weapons and stuff. And I guess to maybe just fear factor. They were like, oh, this armored ghost woman walking around, everybody's going to be scared and not mess with us. Yeah. So. And now we flock to that stuff. Like, I want to get it on camera. <laughs> right. We run to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Harry Potter reference kills it for me. It just makes me not to believe it. Mm. I just don't. The Harry Potter. Yeah, I yeah. feel like somebody, it's just thrown in there, like, to make you feel like it's not real. It's, it makes me feel like it's not real. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is an odd coincidence, just saying. Well, I mean, if someone took the tale and, you know, like uh, J.K. Rowling took it and just used it as, you know, nine to three quarters. Yeah, she could yeah. have. She so. could have. But so, where are we at uh, on this I one? I don't care. Uh, just J.K. Rowling. I don't think she was that deep to find a story and reference it like that. <laughs> I don't know. But just, in uh, in this, so I know uh, 
it was a little confusing hearing you read because I know this is through your wife's words. Yeah. Uh, so when there was like personal opinion expressed, that's not yours. That's yeah. Hers. That's that's hers. Yeah. Okay. And I think I think she said in there like mm, I don't think it's like her either with the Harry Potter stuff. Mm-hmm. Trying to be tricky. That's what it is. She <laughs> might be. Yeah, she might be. She's you know. She can't say yes or no in it and all that, so she might be throwing us off. So, so, so I'm, huh? Oh yeah, what were you saying? I was just gonna say so. Um, well, I'm gonna say that I think this story is true, just because dealing with the wow. druids and mysticism and stuff like that. So. And we do have, you know, um accounts even here in America of like civil war soldiers still patrolling battlefields and stuff. So yeah, specific battlefields, not the whole country. Yeah, right. that's true. So right. Well, I already said I I'm going to say fake, but since there's five stories to get through, I won't do 100% till we get through all of them. Mm. But I'm 99% right now on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, who's next, Tommy? Um, you, Shane. Look, let me get my wheel geared up here. All right. Do do do. All right, it's spinning. Come on, the longest story. Which one's the longest story? I don't. I don't even know. All right. We have... I think this one. <laughs> well, there's two versions. No mm. offense, but I'm going to do the shorter version. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so for everybody that couldn't see my cool wheel, which you could see if you were on Patreon, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the story selected was the Witch Teufel's Non of Arnshoop. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, and that translates to Devil's Nun. English speakers usually refer to her as the Witch of Arnshoop or the Arnshoop Witch. And I am an English speaker, so that's probably what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't think I've read someone else's writing out loud since high school. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Gonna be that's interesting. Gonna be- <laughs> All, right. All right, so a uh, short history of Arnshut to set the scene. Uh, first, Arnshut, Germany, has its first mention in 1311. It is not far from Ribnitz, and in 1328, Duke Heinrich II of Mecklenburg donated an area very near this to the monastery in Ribnitz. This is an important note. The monastery immediately built a smaller sister convent on this land. Even more important to note. Side note, these stories were intentionally written to trip us up on words, I'm now realizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to think so, so too. Your, your note earlier, like, yeah, my wife is nice. I don't know, Tommy. <laughs> but <laughs> All right, second, 
Arenshoop is located on a peninsula on the coast of the Baltic Sea, and though it was never a thriving metropolis, it had a robust community during the Middle Ages, with the majority of the work there being related to fishing. In fact, the economy of Arenshoop revolved around fishing, fishmongering, and whatever other fish-related jobs there were. While some worked as sailors, virtually every family actually living there depended on the fishing industry for income and survival. Again, very important to note. What other fish-related jobs are there, like fish molestation? I don't know. That's a career? Well, (laughs) that that escalated very quickly. (laughs) Just right into it. (laughs) Uh, Third bullet point is an interesting fact, apparently. 1591 saw the border between Swedish, Pomerania, and Mecklenburg being drawn right through the middle of Arenshoop. A 57 years later, half of the village was officially designated a part of the Swedish Pomerania until 1815 when Sweden gave all of Pomerania to Prussia, Germany. Pomerania, uh, that's where the dogs are from? Maybe. Mm. Yeah. So how are those people called Pomeranians? (laughs) They were, yes. Nice. Okay. Little yappy dogs pee on themselves. <laughs> All right. With the uh, uh, final bullet point here of our short history, as with the Protestant Reformation kicking off in Germany during the early part of the 16th century, prot- uh, what is this for? Protestantism? <laughs> People being Protestant became the overwhelming pick for Christmas throughout the kingdom including in our fair little village of Arenshoop. Super important fact for this account. All right, so now we get into the beef of the story, it looks like. All right, so in November of 1535, the monks at the monastery in Ribnitz officially closed up shop as they faced rising tension in the area. But the nuns at the convent on the outskirts of Arenshoop still had not been relocated a year later. The locals around Arnshoop were getting restless by their remaining presence by then and began refusing to sell to the designated buyer of the convent at the market. They'd had, they had actually already stopped delivering things like pre-ordered monthly rations, and no one was donating by then. Refusing to take work for things such as repairs around their property and even went so far as refusing to look at them by actively shunning them if any of the nuns made their way to the village proper. In January of 1537, the villagers filed a formal petition with the Duke of Mecklenburg, Albrecht VII, known as the Handsome, to remove the nuns. I want y'all to call me that from now on. I am the Handsome. <laughs> All right, oh. Albrecht. Oh, oh yes, yeah, so I was going to say Albrecht. <laughs> <clears throat> Unfortunately, Albrecht VII, who was Catholic himself, ignored the petition as he had bigger fish to fry than some nuns simply existing at their convent in a random fishing village on the edge of his territory. He had his eye on becoming king of Denmark, after all. And so began the most high-stakes game of petty cake ever played in Arenshoop. The events here will be condensed to the back and forth between the town and the nuns, the ringleader of the latter being the mother superior of the convent, Mother Agnes, or Mother Agnes in English. Mother. Mother! Mother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Mother Agnes wrote to Rome asking for a small number of the Swiss Guard to be placed at the convent for protection. She didn't receive any because the Swiss Guard are only at the Vatican for the protection of the Pope, basically. The nuns expanded the garden at the convent to accumulate more fruits and vegetables, growing more of their own food since the locals wouldn't trade. The trade work that needed doing around the convent was shopped out to other trade guilds from out of town. This infuriated the local trade guilds because they were losing out on work, work they previously (coughs) refused to take. Geniuses. Mother Agnes began leading her penguin army. She had penguins? That's that's what some people call nuns, penguins. Oh, I've never heard that. I'm like, why do these nuns have penguins? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... That's all I pictured was yep, 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 right yep, yep. with like the, the nuns leading. I'm like, I've never heard of that. Uh-uh. Oh, well, okay. She began leading her penguin army around Aranshoop on daily walks just to ignore the villagers in turn. That's turning the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a downturn in fish happened one season, one stupid but brave local went to the convent to ask for a trade of fish for fruits and veggies from the expanded garden. Mother Agnes allegedly responded, Perhaps your harvest suffers because your heterical beliefs would have it so. We shall happily trade with any heathen that will return to the Lord. Not liking the same treatment being served back at them, locals began pelting the nuns with things such as fish entrails. I'm sure the penguins like that. Yep. While they were (laughs) making their daily walks around town to ignore people. Every time they would do this, Mother Agnes would signal for her nuns to stop where they were so that may all so that they all may kneel in prayer in the street. In 1539, the convent garden mysteriously caught fire in the middle of one spring night. Considering root vegetables such as carrots and potatoes were dug up before being tossed in a pile and set on fire, this was likely not the work of a lone raccoon. Could have been. And now, now we got lone raccoons starting fires. What? What's <laughs> penguins? Arson as raccoons. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the convent. The convent itself, being made mostly of stone, was pretty much all right. However, an outbuilding caught fire and was reduced to ash. And a stable boy, an orphan who lived in the convent's care, and two nuns lost their lives combating the flames. Mother Agnes wrote to the local magistrate, Rudolf von Driesgden, demanding an investigation into the obvious arson committed. In his response, he recalled the local villager having previously asked for a trade and remarked, Perhaps your harvest suffers because your heterical beliefs would have it so. Which was really just knowing her own alleged words back at her. Was really just throwing her own alleged words back at her. It also implies the obvious act of arson was likely an act of God instead. It was this exchange between the two filed as an official record of correspondence between magistrate and member of the public that gives us the wealth of information about the back and forth between the Aronshoop villagers and the convent. All right. After the fire, (laughs) nuns began fleeing the convent in lieu of waiting for an official reassignment. When the locals realized it was down to just two nuns, von Drishtin filed a petition with Count Hendrik IV of... Vapor, and that's a Pokemon. It's not Vaporeon. Vapamimin Vapamin Rugen. Vapamin Rugen. 
But seriously, just don't bother. Stick with Count Hynek the Fourth. That was her making fun of you for saying that. I don't think we were supposed to read the little, you know, brackets. Oh, the little side notes we've been, we've been reading the whole time. <laughs> I mean, we're going to continue doing it, but I don't uh, think we were supposed to. <laughs> so Count was busy hyping hyping his boy, the Duke, in his bid for the crown of Denmark. He essentially kicked the petition back down to von Dreisken himself. Presumably, the magistrate then rubbed his hands together sinisterly and laughed like a cartoon villain while he wrote up the equivalent of a 16th century eviction notice and nailed it to the doors of the convent. Protestants nailing documents to doors in Germany had previously become the social norm, it would seem. Mother Agnes sent away her last two nuns who stayed with her, intending to remain loyal to the end, and wrote a letter to the magistrate stating she had no intention to leave the convent at which she'd spent almost her entire life, and that as her lord's last true witness in the land, she would remain on his last true consecrated piece of it. When the final day came and went, the magistrate went ahead with his plan B and charged her as a witch. According to her charges, also a matter of public record, Mother Agnes was supernaturally responsible for some stillbirths and infant deaths, some livestock dying, the harvest the previous year not turning out so well, well, a rowboat capsizing in the sea, an incident in which no one was even reportedly injured, and appearing in the dreams of the magistrate's family. Muttering curses at them, a mob came to the convent and dragged her from where she'd been knelt in prayer at the altar to bring her to the public square of Arenshoop. There they denied her the last rites and, and tied her to a stake before allowing her to speak her last words. You know, because they've been smart about this so far. She used the opportunity to curse every last person in Adenshoop who'd had a hand in the conspiracy against her and her convent. The parameters of the curse were that all of the men and their male descendants would be taken by the waters of the Baltic from the land, so that essentially no one who'd been involved or their descendants would get to stay on what she felt was her lord's consecrated land. Alright, so the fallout of the curse is as outlined below. You will likely recall that pretty much every family in Adenshoop was connected to or depended on the fishing trade or general shipwork, but especially fishing. While correlation does not always equal causation, the sudden uptick in drownings undeniably began the day after they burned Mother Agnes at the stake for witchcraft. Strange facts about the drownings include not the very first victim listed, but within the first month of drownings was none other than Rudolf von Dreichen's own son, Frederick. The drownings basically almost all happened in a pecking order within a family. If a patriarch was still out on the waters for work or just constantly out there, he would drown. Then the firstborn son. If there was a secondborn son, he would be next. There was a thirdborn son, so on and so forth, and it was only direct bloodline. If there were two brothers, and only one of the brothers was involved in the harassing of the nuns and death of Mother Agnes, only his branch would be decimated, not his brother's. There were incidents in which a boat would capsize, for instance, and several men who were themselves involved or were from families connected to it through the generations would drown. However, if it was not their time in the pecking order, or they and their family were innocent of any involvement, they would be spared. As time wore on, this still happened, and men from the newer families not present at the time of Mother Agnes's burning would all be perfectly fine. 
only descendants of those responsible would drown during these incidents. Women were spared, and this part is pretty twisted because it would imply the curse would function only to kill the men of certain bloodlines and that it lasted as long as it could by allowing women descended from these bloodlines to continue them. This was noticed after some decades when they began to realize male lines had died out that they'd simply moved away to avoid the curse entirely. But male descendants via the female descendants of those families were still seemingly targeted because of the curse and the same pattern as before. This comes back, just wait. Flooding began to occur, Iron Shoop, every few years around the anniversary of Mother Agnes's death. When the cursed family's men stopped going out into the waters of the Baltic, causing the curse to have to slow down, many suggest this was the curse attempting to keep Mother Agnes's word and drag them into the sea to drown since they were being sissies and refusing to go in themselves. It's an inappropriate word. I would never call anyone a sissy. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I would not go out on that water either if it was killing everybody. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Seems legit. <laughs> uh, the families not connected to the conspiracy stopped marrying into the families of those obviously connected to the death of Mother Agnes to protect their descendants from the curse. It literally divided the community, separate cemeteries and everything. Eventually, after 1591, innocent families tended to even live on the Swedish Pomerania side until the guilty families were all gone. All right, we're in the last run with the curse drying up. The last known person descended from a cursed bloodline of Aronshoop to live out their life and die in Aronshoop. Willem Augustine Schweitzer died in 1793. He never in so much as went to soak his feet at the shore, worked as a tailor in nearby Ribnitz, and died of pneumonia at the age of 42. He never married, and he left no descendants on purpose. Whether it was because of the social stigma or legitimate fear, the vast majority of the t- descendants of the cursed families moved away. What was once a robust fishing community dwindled down in numbers, at first due to the curse, obviously, but then due to people simply moving to larger cities after the Industrial Revolution and whatnot. In the 1880s, Arnshoop, with its utterly meager population of roughly 150 residents at the time, was stumbled upon by a pair of artists, Paul Müller-Kampf, and, oh, come on, you can fix... More side notes. And Oscar Finzel, who were... I finally started skipping ahead, and then she put a trick in there. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. And Oscar Finzel, who were scouting for landscape inspirations. They fell in love with the area, and they set up an artist colony there. Artists came in droves, and by the 1920s, Adenshoop had become a trendy tourist destination for such people. They are now several smaller artist colonies in and around Arnshoop and its nearby villages. In 1959, 400 years exactly after the death of Mother Agnes, visiting uh. photographer Eric Fritzler rode out into the Baltic Sea from Arnshoop, hoping to catch some photos of the sunrise. No one knows for sure what happened or how, as he was obviously alone, but the rowboat he had rented was found along the shore upside down that evening. The next day, his body was found washed ashore a few miles away where the boat had been discovered the evening before. Twenty years later, his daughter, Sophia, was marrying Lord Barrington Hoverton of Netherwich, England. Obviously, because it's such a big deal and whatnot, she had ancestry research done. Uh, anyways, wouldn't you know it, they traced her ancestry back to her family's mother's side a few centuries ago to this little town in Germany called Arnshoop. 
And so, while the last official resident of a cursed bloodline of Ironshoop died in 1793, the last officially recorded victim of the curse died in 1959. Today, Ironshoop still survives as a tourist destination for artists, with its residential population of 720, according to Google, but they also enjoy the local legend. Anyone brave enough to test the waters and return can claim a free t-shirt that reads, Ach haben den Ardenschub flutsch überrat. Which means, I survived the Ardenschub cursed. So, what you guys think? I think... Oh no. I think you're a liar. I think you wouldn't get out on that boat or go out in those waters because you can't swim. Wait, wait. Did you read the last part? I'll read it. Hang on. So what do you think? You know, is it real or fake? I know. I was going to split that up for the questions. There's questions we're supposed to ask. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like you read through the whole list of questions. This is, you know, how we go through conversation. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what I'm assuming. (laughs) I just thought it was something at the end just because of what it says at the end of it. I mean, I I asked the first question. So what do you guys think? See See what I'm doing? (laughs) (laughs) This is my section, damn it. Why are you even reading behind me? He needs to make sure you're pronouncing everything correctly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> not everybody's as good as pronunciation as me. So somebody had hooked on phonics. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't catch. I didn't get hooked, but I had phonics. <laughs> not me. Not me. Anyway, what was I, your question, that, by the way? Well, I was like, "What do you guys think?" And you were trying to call me out for not being able oh, to yeah. swim. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> or Tommy rudely interrupted. <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> but, hey, I can I can stay afloat now. I've learned how to doggy paddle. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's moving up, man. Moving <laughs> up. Uh, practice out here in my three-foot deep pool in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> he lays on his belly and just flops his arms. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, man. It's pretty legit. <laughs> to actually answer your question, though, um, we we've talked a lot about curses before, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think four hundred years would completely wipe out an original bloodline if you think about it genetically. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. my opinion, so it would make sense why the killing stopped. Maybe you know. Yeah. That's my thoughts on it anyways, on that. So where where I, my thoughts were on that, so yeah, curses, real thing, right? Mm-hmm. But from a nun, does that mean that God himself is carrying out the punishment? Usually curses are through some sort of different entity or something demonic, but being a nun with none of the you know other beliefs, I would assume she called on God, and it mentioned you know, it being his, his land. Mm-hmm. So that means... He played assassin for those all those years. Maybe, and if you read the Bible, he does that. He used to do that a lot. I mean, my, one of my favorite stories—I can't remember the dude's name—but some kids called were making fun of him for being bald. So God sent like two bears out of the woods that killed forty children for making fun of this bald dude. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's far-fetched for him to be like, yeah, I'm going to drown all these fuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that's... 
That would be a strong possibility. He was quite vengeful. Or maybe she completely turned tides and went the other way and was on the dark side. Who knows? Yeah, she she was alone at the end. Right. Yeah. Takes a you know it takes a significant change to sometimes you know make people see the light in a different way kind of thing you know yeah and and faith is a funny thing I mean that's essentially you know a, a super powered energy to have right and that's I think if you directed that energy to something else it, it, something could happen pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she was also going through a bunch of emotions at that time too. Like you said, like Josh said, she was alone. Um, she had her faith. She was probably just pissed off too, you know, um, and all that rage and stuff built up. So, yeah. So she listed a funny question here. It's like, uh, you know, was Mother Agnes real? <laughs> And, you know, we're just talking, you know, like, oh, the curse and everything. It's like, okay, forget this could be just a completely made up story. <laughs> we're so used to having true stories that we say if we believe in it or not. But we have to, like, Mother Agnes could be completely just made up. Now, I could, could is be. that some sh- shit you think would have went down back in the day? You know, when you look at history, it seems like every, it, it, you think everybody loved nuns, but we do know there well, was times that they weren't. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, just take Ireland, uh, even up until, heck, the early, the, the mid-90s, really. You know, there was really a battle, like, two groups fighting each other. It was Catholics and Protestants. And that went on for hundreds of years, really. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they killed any nuns or priests. Um, <clears throat> because I, I think um, there's still a little thing within um, Protestant religions about you know, they, they still worship God and all that, and they're kind of like a pastor in a way. So, um, now not all Protestants believe that, but it's still kind of a thing. So, I don't know about a murdering a nun. Um, yeah, that, that seems excessive, especially for such a small town. Mm. Now, the Germans have been known to kill other people, so... Yeah. I mean, they started a whole war over it. Well, you know, my biggest issue with the story that makes me feel it's fake mm. is how the curse selected the bloodlines. So the curse specifically was for anybody involved and their bloodlines, right? Yeah. Now, it says if there were two brothers and only one of the brothers was involved in the harassing of the nuns, mm. only his branch would be decimated, right? Yeah. Now, that makes sense when you're talking like, a, you know, like, let's say me and my brother, you know, like, let's look at that, and then it only gets me and my descendants because my brother wasn't involved. Mm. But I have two, if I had two sons, it would get both of those sons, even though they weren't involved. Yeah. That's a weird complexity to that curse that it's like it, it's like it's choosing who's innocent and choosing the bloodline even though they have the same bloodline technically and it's still killing the innocent. You get what I'm saying? I, th- yeah. I think I'm saying it kind of weird. Mm. It shouldn't differentiate between brothers if it doesn't differentiate between brothers of the next generation. Well, 
I guess that would be on the lines of like you and your brother have two sons each, right? So your sons would be taken from the curse and his would be left. So it'd be like brother and cousin or cousins at that point instead of brothers. Maybe it's just specifically your bloodline. And not like you said, it, it's kind of weird because I've never heard of a curse working like that. Yeah, because usually it's like you know, there's, there's a curse on your family, and I'm not saying you can't get more specific than that, but yeah. and I would get it if it spared all the innocent, which means the descendants wouldn't <laughs> be affected. Yeah, so it's just I don't know. I mean, depending on a deal made, you know, there's fine print on contracts, so you know. The devil's in the details, literally, sometimes. and Yeah. Mm. But that that's probably the biggest piece I get hung up on. Like, this this curse got technical, especially by someone who didn't spend her life studying how to do curses. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. We uh, we assume, anyways. Yeah, I mean, she, she might have been studying occult stuff on how to combat curses and then learning curses. Yeah. 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 Well, at this point, I'm going to give this about 80% false. That's where I'm feeling right now. <clears throat> Shane's going to say all of them are false. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that way, he, he knows he at least gets a couple right or one right. <laughs> well, if only one's real, then. Yeah. You right. know? But it could be the opposite, and only only one's fate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since we don't know. So, I do like the fact about her putting money on us to go and try and get that T-shirt. So. Oh yeah, I said I was going to read the last thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, she says, "My money is on you three, probably wanting to test it out just to get the stupid T-shirt. If you decide to do this, Shane and Josh better go ahead and test it out at the same time as Tommy, because if you get my husband killed over a damn shirt, you'll wish the curse snatched you up too." Well, just for that, we're dragging him out there and we're drowning him <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. Actually, I'll just use my three-foot pool I was just talking about in the back. <laughs> Oh, Lord. So Tommy will be on his belly flopping his arms. <laughs> <laughs> but we, yeah, I do want the shirt if it's real and shouldn't have to worry if we don't have this orange shoot bloodline, which I doubt we do. Right. So, yeah. I'm down to go get a free t shirt. <laughs> no, if you really I mean, think about it, for us, it'd be the most expensive t shirt we've yeah, got. <laughs> man, right? <laughs> I could have made one on the cricket in the living room. We would have never, nobody would ever know. Right. <laughs> just look up the design. And Actually, <laughs> you know what? If this is a real story, I mean, let's just go ahead and print us all one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll act like we went. We'll like take random pictures together at some random location that nobody would ever know. Just like, yeah, we were there. Sand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm going to say, I, I think this one's true. I'm going to say, I think it's true. Yeah, I'm on the fence about this one. It sounds true. It sounds like it could be true. Mm. But the tech, you know, what is it? The devil's in the details, right? So mm-hmm. maybe that technicality throws it out the window. I don't know. We're going with possible. Say. Possible. 
All right, cool. All right. Should I get my wheel geared up again? Yeah, yep. it's Josh's turn. And this is where we find out that Shane is super smart compared to me and Tommy. And uh, what what are you talking about? Did you not hear how I pronunciated Pashishkishker? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of what it's gonna sound like on my side. Big smooth (laughs) brain. Okay. I foot. I stumbled a lot, so don't don't feel bad. All right. Oh, okay. the Sheraton Asylum. Okay. There you go. Josh loves asylums. <sighs> we made that pretty clear with the last episode we did. Okay. Well, I think every episode we've done on an asylum, you've, you've, you were the one who talked about it. Yeah. So. That is. <laughs> oh, that is. Third time's a charm, right? <laughs> right. Uh, fuck this shit. Uh, anyways, the uh, Sheraton Asylum. Uh, colon a haunting. Can I say all the pronunciations or the pr- punctuations? Anyways, a uh, <laughs> little background, setting the scene, if you will. Founded in 1645 by the Brothers of Charity, uh, Sheraton was the first asylum in France. Hold on, Brittany is hacking her lungs out in the closet. She's super sick. Hold on, guys. Let me go check on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So how's it going? It's going. What about you? <laughs> yeah. I can't complain. <laughs> I asked you about those worms the other day just because I was, uh, I'm getting everything ready for the garden and I mm-hmm. remembered you doing it and I know they had died. So I was like, I wonder if he's doing those. You know, I thought about doing it, but I was like, I don't know if I want to do it, you know, risk it again. You know, no. I kind of want to uh, probably spend a good while like doing good research and stuff on it instead of just flying at the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. So. But here lately, I've been working on a a little project. I'm gonna get with you about it later. Uh, see what you think. So, <clears throat> but I'll get with you about it later. Um, All right. So, it's I don't know if you'd want to put it on the YouTube or not, um, or what you think. But I'll I'll email you a test thing of it. What I've been working on. Um, okay. Yeah. That's good. I think you'll like it. I kind of, I think you'll like it. So, but. Ugh. Anyways, I did start drinking this circle stuff. Have you tried yeah. that? What is that? It's like, it's water with a, flavored like filter in it so you get like filtered water but it also adds flavor to it so they have different flavors like fruit punch um this one's like berry mixed berry Hmm. and um, they got sweet tea do not if you ever get one 
and you get the sweet tea, do not put sweet tea on eight. Okay. So it has, little, it has little <laughs> dowels <laughs> for how much flavor. Do not put it on eight. <laughs> she all right? Yeah, as good as she I can mean, be. She's got yeah. like... Her, <clears throat> she's pretty bad. Her flu is pretty bad. They, um, she's got anything to take for it? Yeah. Um, needs to take some cough medicine. Mm. It'd probably help her. Something stronger than what she is taking, I would imagine. Um, but let's get through this as fast as we can so I can help her out a little bit. Um, I'll just start over. Uh, the Sheraton Asylum was, uh, for a little background, we'll set the scene, if you will. It's founded in 1645 by the Brothers of Charity. The Sheraton was the first asylum in France. Um, they specialized in the humane treatment of patients, something other asylums and sanatoriums obviously did not do back in the day. Uh, this treatment philosophy was perhaps no better shown than was perhaps no better shown than the Sheraton's pioneer use of art therapy in the early 1800s under the the director uh, Francois C. de Colby. I can't say that. I don't give a shit. His name is Francois. We know that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, he he was an early uh, proponent of what was essentially psychoanalytic therapy. Um, this tidbit is very important, apparently, in these brackets, as it comes into play in a major way later in the story. Doesn't say later in the story. I just added that. Uh, for a little bit of its history, the asylum was really just a small house that only cared for more for the more affluent. Of society um, as it was ruled in 1660 that by law those seeking treatment for mental illness had to go to the hospitals what was that that was being um, uh, having only been built 15 years prior and only having five beds at the time it didn't meet those qualifications I'm assuming to be a hospital uh, it wasn't until the 1700s that more land was acquired and more facilities were built on that property. Um, the Sheraton had some other famous patients who stayed in the hospital, including... What does that say? Coman? Coneman? Conman. Conman? Is that what that Wait, is? where are you at? Oh, I, I was reading it as his name. Oh, <laughs> Anyways, that was weird. Any writer, con man, and famous prison escaped artist, <laughs> uh, Jean Henry Latude, whatever. Um, why? Uh, I don't know. I don't think any of this matters. Anyways, several composers, artists, poet, uh, and poets, such as uh, Jean Joseph Moray, Andre Gill. And Paul Valer Verlaine, um, and the most infamously and notoriously, uh, the reason they are ultimately what? The reason that we are ultimately talking about the Sheraton on today's podcast, the Marquise de Sade, sub de Sade. Mm. Anyways. Uh known by many as the revolutionary men of sexual expression and the libertine ideals, libertine ideas. Uh, he essentially thought as of 
thought of as a sort of folk hero and fighter of the repressed notions around sex and pretty much the OG of S&M. So this is my kind of story, uh, apparently. This guy. Just this guy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he was imprisoned multiple times for things like writing, publishing, and circulating pornography and pamphlets that were basically on how to manual, ma- oh, how to manual on being a dom. Uh, people often forget that he was arrested for things like abduction and SA and notorious for his antics and uh, we haven't i can't i obviously can't read anyways uh let's just get on to the haunting <laughs> the sheraton haunting is really broke down into a couple of different parts the first part the most common experience people have after having visited or partaken in the urban exploration around the sheraton abandoned premises can be described as essentially a form of ghost sickness Hey, we talked about ghost sickness in another yeah. in another show. Damn, that was a long time ago. I don't think we've mentioned it since. Yeah, that was what, way back when, wasn't it? The Chindi. Yeah. Yeah. It's like nice. season two. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> as we may or may not know, ghost sickness is the belief among certain indigenous groups in North America and can occur after the passing of a loved one. It manifests as things like nightmares, depression, fear, headaches, and so on. What people experience after trespassing on the Sheraton matches up with that description. Only it obviously isn't the the recent passing of a loved one uh, that has brought on these sort of symptoms. The most common symptoms people have are severe headaches, migraines that come out of nowhere, nightmares, insomnia, and bouts of mild to moderate depression. Uh, it also gives you diarrhea if you take the wrong medicines. I was just thinking that. <laughs> Why do they always have happy people running through the fields? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> these phenomenon usually persist from anywhere from a few weeks to a few months after leaving the property. Um, <laughs> the second part of it being, well, the second level of haunting is rarer but is the main attraction and the reason people risk experiencing the first kind of haunting the Sheraton uh, Sheraton has to offer. Allegedly, the Marquis himself can be heard and appears to be... himself can be heard and appears as an apparition. The Marquis's stay at the Sheraton began when he transferred from Bastille in 1801. Is that how you say that? Bastille? Yeah, the Bastille. Yeah. Uh, after his opponents had him declared illegally insane in lieu of sending him to a trial. He remained at the Sheraton until his death in 1814. It was during his stay that Francois was the director of the asylum. Now we'll recall he continued the practice of humanist treatment of the patients under his care and instituted early practices of art therapy. One of the favored forms of art therapy he utilized was having the patients organize and act in plays. Oh, he was like Shakespeare. Oh, uh, crazy people. Yeah, right? <laughs> Could you imagine what Julia, uh, what was that fucking one play? Uh, Romeo and Juliet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
bunch of crazy running around half naked. Uh, this led to controversy as the Marquise was commonly the self-appointed director of many of these plays. Wow. Yep. Romeo and Juliet on crack. Mm-hmm. Opponents felt like he was receiving, he wasn't receiving any sort of punishment and, in, and was instead being indulged while at the Sheraton. However, they had him illegal, had him legally declared insane and there really wasn't much that they could do about his treatment and or what was he was allowed or not allowed to do under Francois. Was that Francois? That was Francois. Uh, Francois's care at the asylum. So well known was the controversy that the controversy that the play was even so well known was the controversy that a play was even written about Desaad about Desaad's stay at the Sheraton. Man, what where's the words going? I can't read. <laughs> the official name of the play was The Persecution and Assassination of Jean John? I think it's oh. John Paul. John Paul Moreau, whatever. Anyways, as performed by the inmates of the Sheraton under the direction of the Marquis. Um, But this is often shortened to Moreau slash Sod for reasons I feel are obvious. I don't feel those reasons. I don't know. I like the long names, okay? I don't have the fear of big words. I do. I do have that fear. Uh, The play was even turned into a movie in 1967. All of this is important because the apparition of the Marquise is usually seen when he appears to be pacing and mumbling lines while making notations on a script. Occasionally, someone may hear him, may hear his disembodied voice rather authoritatively as, what the fuck? Occasionally, someone may hear his disembodied voice rather authoritative voice staged, giving stage directions or becoming apparently de- displeased with an actor's performance. <sighs> Why does Paige use language like this? She can't, she can't she just write normal Southern language? I don't understand. <laughs> hey, just summarize it. They'd be ghosts in this bitch. What y'all think? <laughs> they, they, yeah, what you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It should be noted that some have said that the while the voice reported being uh, to be berating an actor's performance may very well be the marquee in his comfortable role directing plays at the asylum, the man seeking the man seen making notations and pacing may not actually be him. Some people believe that the apparition of the man to be some people believe the apparition of this man to be French, a to be a French mathematician, Andre Bloch, which I'm assuming that's how you say that, who spent the last 31 years of his life at the Sheraton. Bloch is the most remembered for his contributions to the complex an- analyst in math. Good fucking Lord, man. Um... Block is most remembered for his contributions to complex anal- complex analysts in mathematics. Probably unbeknownst to most, all of his work as a mathematician was done while he was at the Sheraton, where he sent where he was sent after being declared legally insane for murdering his own brother as well as their aunt and uncle while on leave during World War One. Nice. That's weird. Uh, well, 
the people who argue this uh, this apparition, the people who argue what I don't understand the sentence structure in this. Anyways, the <laughs> the people who argue this apparition is actually the of that of Block. What the people who argue this apparition is actually that of Block. Note his. Anyways, they note his clothing and his general style uh, being that of the mid-20s and not the early 19th century. They identify the man they saw by photos of the mathematician in question. They feel the Marquise is simply a more exciting, notorious, and salacious historical historical figure. So people want to run with that story, run with the story that the apparition at the Sheraton is the Marquise. Of course, those who insist the apparition is that of Dassad say the apparition does not appear to be dressed in the clothing from the 20th 20th century, but the earlier 19th century. Obviously, no photos exist of the infamous Marquise to compare the two. Um, It is also argued that Block, among other patients at the Sheraton, reported hearing the director's disembodied voice and saw the apparition of the pacing man with the papers. Those who are adamant the apparition of is of Block point to him being one of the patients on record as having the director's voice, but not authenticated but no authenticated report reported sightings of the pacing man with the papers started until after Block's death, nineteen forty eight. To be fair, I had the easier to read of the two stories. And I still fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? Well, initially, I mean, this sounds like a a real haunting story. This mm-hmm. this sounds like your standard, your asylum, your mm. clientele is the wrong word. What are uh, inmates? I like clientele. <laughs> the clientele of the asylum. <laughs> <laughs> Like that all seems to check out. Even the play, I mean, that that seems like a legitimate detail that would have happened. Um, and we're not disputing if it's actually haunted, just if it's a real story, right? Yeah, yeah, because it could be all made up, you know. Yeah, uh, right. Mm-hmm. Well, so far of the three, this is the one that I would lean towards as being a real one. Yeah. It's got some some parts of it that make me believe it's a little closer to being real, especially at the very end there with um, the one man not showing up until after Block's mm-hmm. death. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Ghost, ghosts be doing weird stuff like that. Right. And you've I've heard stories before of, of uh, the techniques that the other guy used the, to kind of get all the inmates together. They're, they're basically inmates all together and to – use them for things like that not not necessarily plays but like social interaction things i think there was a whole thing that tried to re like to help people we talked about this like put them in real life scenarios made them like cashiers or something like that you know so i this one this one might be a real story might be a real story i'm gonna say it's fake you're just saying the opposite of us on each one. <laughs> no, no, no. Think about it. Think about it. Because if we're trying to determine which one's real or which one's fake, this one sounds the most real. 
It does so that far. That would make it the most fake. But the others had red flags in it, if you will. On nah, that's a weird detail. And this one, yeah, but they could also be red herrings. A good author uses a good red herring. Yeah. So what you're saying is these could have been written with intentional red flags that someone can convince us that's true, like the other ones. Put those in there just to make us think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the one that knows your wife, so... <laughs> I'm I'm still gonna go with my gut though. Like I don't I don't even see anything really to dive deeper on this one. Yeah. Sounds like a, a yeah. real haunted asylum. Like most of them. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So I guess you guys are real. I'm fake. Yeah. Well I'm still not locking anything in until we get through all of them. Okay. But, right. Except we're out of people to read now. Well, it goes back to me. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, okay. Hey, I'm scared, too. <laughs> oh, and then it goes on me for the last one, then? Yeah. So we're down to La Noria mm-hmm. or Parablanco. Don't matter. I'm going to butcher all the names in it anyways. But Josh is out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Right. I'm going to be mean and just hope Tommy gets the shorter one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the wheel is spinning. And he gets the longer one. <laughs> I love how it claps and cheers, good. too. <laughs> good, great. It just doesn't know. It doesn't know. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Well, let me see. Let me pull this up. Uh, what is this? Okay. All right. Pedro Blanco el Perro de la... You just say Pedro. That's Pedro. <laughs> Pedro. <laughs> Pedro. He's going to be Pedro to me. Pedro. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I can't pronounce that. Um, any of that. So. Dog yeah, of death. Yeah, white just say dog. the white dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'll white dog. This is dog of death or the death dog in English. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. Um, <laughs> so when does the dog appear and to whom? Uh, you guys have previously covered the black dog of Scottish lore. Have we? <laughs> don't Probably. I don't know. It might have been in the Faye episode. We're, we're on the end of season four. It's been a, lo- it's been <laughs> a long list of things. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. That's a hundred plus episodes, oh my God, man. Has it been over a hundred? All right. Yeah. It's been over a hundred episodes. Oh, why didn't we do like a hundredth episode like special? That gummit. Oh man, I don't know because we right. suck. <laughs> what what was our hundredth episode? I bet it was something stupid. <laughs> it might have been what? Uh, what? Uh, so we did twenty-five the first. Mm-hmm. So we only have three episodes. So let me look. 
three episodes back. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, go for it. It's been three, three or four episodes back. Uh, Don Decker or the twofer that I did. It's going to be one of those two. Uh, yep. Because I think first season was 25 episodes and 26, 26, and then 26 this season. So, yeah, it might have been actually the Bet Sphere. No. Oh, shiny ball. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hundredth episode. We like shiny yeah. things. <laughs> All right. I'll go back and count it and actually label it in there as the hundredth episode. <laughs> you got to change the description too. Like for a hundredth episode, here's a shiny ball. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, apparently we have talked about the uh, Black Dog of Scottish lore. And this would easily nice. be considered the South American equivalent. However, Pedro Blanco has a very specific person he prefers. Uh, murders who are, murderers who are, shall we say, more inclined to riding white ponies than see white death dogs. Oh. Coca? Um, yes, that would technically make uh, Pedro Blanco a cocaine monster. But he's only visible to cocaine users who have killed for unjust reasons such as um, unjust reasons such as self-defense. That's a just reason to kill somebody. Or am I reading that wrong? No. That's what that says. Okay. So, uh, you have to be on cocaine and you have to commit murder in order to see Pedro Blanco. Although, why you would want to see him, I have no idea. Josh and Shane, I implore you, as a loving wife, please do not take my husband to South America and make him do cocaine and kill someone just so you guys can test out whether Pedro Blanco will show up. All right. I think I think I'm probably more likely to be the one that does that. I just <laughs> right. I was just about to say, why don't Josh and me do the cocaine and kill you? Yeah, and then we could. But we're technically we're not breaking her wishes. Exactly. She put, she put yeah. this on you. All right. Exactly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> nice loopholes. I like it. So, who has been dumb enough to claim to see Pedro uh, Blanco? Like I said, if you see uh, El Pedro. The white dog death. Uh, you've committed murder while under the uh, effects of the booger sugar. If you start telling people you see him, you're basically admitting to having killed at least one person. South America has many countries, and just like the many countries of North America, uh, murder is also illegal in all of them. Oh, yeah. Regardless of murder being illegal, people have still reportedly freaked out and told people about Pedro Blanco appearing to them before they died. If they're going to die, does it matter? Um, I lost my place. Um, it should also be noted that, weirdly, a lot of people on that list suddenly die of unexplained heart attacks and strokes after seeing Pedro Blanco. Is it unexplained? Heart attacks? Mm. Is it? I'm gonna go out on I'm gonna you know, go out on a limb and say some of that booger sugar might have done it. 
Right. <clears throat> now, I'm admittedly not a doctor, but I am fairly certain heart attacks and strokes can also be caused by coca. <laughs> just one more <laughs> sentence. That's all we needed. <laughs> she just agrees with us. That's all it is. <laughs> I think it might be a bit of a stretch to call them unexplained for that very reason. But then people wouldn't be able to say these individuals died uh, of what is basically fright after a death dog showed up and started following them around. Anyways, other deaths on the list are legitimately weird, including one man seen sprinting directly into traffic while screaming and looking behind him at nothing Appearing, uh, appearing to be giving chase. Uh, some took their own lives on purpose, allegedly being terrified of whatever death Pedro Blanco had in mind for them. Some met their ends under violent circumstances at the hands of others, such as rival organizations or the policia. And of course, there is one legend who survived to have a natural death. Asleep in his bed at the age of 78, Miguel Gustavo Rodriguez de Bello, nickname The Butcher, or El Camarón. Wow. I'm, oh my goodness, he was an enforcer for the Medellin cartel. I am sorry, Medellin cartel, for He's coming. butchering that. Um, much respect to the butcher. Um was the most brutal enforcer bodyguard within the Medellin cartel, which is um, Pablo Escobar uh, cartel, and was said to have seen Pedro Blanco somewhere, somewhat regularly for at least four decades before he died. When asked how he was still alive, if Pedro Blanco only appears to those who are immediately about to die, uh, the butcher would reply... El Pedro Blanco de Como Why did you put that whole thing in Spanish? Why? Why did you talk to me? That, that I had confidence right off. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, the translation in English is uh, Pedro Blanco is uh, like an angry, is like a hungry animal. He wants food and knows he can't take me to hell because I feed him too well. Pretty sure that's him implying that he killed so many other coke-addicted killers in his line of work that Pedro Blanco was impressed enough to let him live and continue doing the dirty work for him. I mean... Uh, notable names uh, in alphabetical order for those who saw Pedro Blanco before their deaths. Why did I have to get this one? Armando Carrillo Fontes Fontaine. Um, <clears throat> actually, I think he was actually a member of the Sinaloa uh, drug card. Anyways, he died of complications during uh, plastic surgery. Um, interesting in that he was actually a Mexican drug lord, not South American, but he regularly worked in Colombia. Um, Grinzelda Blanco shot outside a bakery. This one guy, uh, Vasquez, 
a, rel a relatively high uh, number, I noticed, had cancer. I, don't, I guess he died of cancer. Um, Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gotcha. Um, epic action movie level shootout with law enforcement. That's how you do it right there. <laughs> Snort that booger sugar and go out with a blaze of glory. Uh, Juan David Ulcha Vasquez. He's uh, one of the heart attack guys I mentioned. Uh, Roberto Gomez, nicknamed the King of Cocaine. He died of cancer. Uh, Veronica Riviera de Vargas, nicknamed the Queen of Cocaine. She died in a prison riot. So, what is Pedro Blanco? Pedro Blanco, whose name I revealed literally means white dog, is never simply described as being some average doggo <clears throat> um, Argentino. Yes, I did look up South American dog breeds uh, to make that comparison. Oh, doggo Argentinos are known to be of being muscular and having pearly white coats. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, Pedro Blanco is described as being larger than most dogs with no, with no apparently discernible breed, but grunt and having soulless black eyes. He often appears to be drooling as he stalks his prey in a somewhat casual manner, salivating with hunger, probably for human souls, but in no rush as if he knows he'll have them soon anyways. Drawings of him, to me, honestly, look like that of the Grim Reaper, if the Grim Reaper were a dog with, um, sal with savory morsels. I can't say that. What is wrong with me? But I'm not a vet. So what do I know? I think that's, I, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. People have speculated he may be a hellhound, or at least some version of one. His appearance and his choice of guilty individuals have lent uh, coincidences to this. Hellhounds are usually known for dragging people to hell and guarding hell, not following them at a leisurely pace and waiting for them to somehow die. That little fact leads some to speculate Pedro Blanco may just be an omen. I'll bet a specific omen for specific individuals, but an omen nonetheless. It also It's also been uh, proposed he is actually some sort of cocaine monster. As I referred to him earlier, this particular idea is that he's the evils of cocaine addiction made manifest and that one's demons will come back to haunt them. But alas, our deathly powder pooch only enters the an annuals of cultural history during a very specific time in the last century, the rise of the drug lords. This would mean Pedro Blanco is a boogie dog of sorts meant to reinforce to South American children the idea that if they want to grow up and be like Pablo Escobar, it won't end well for them. So, what do you guys think? This this is my favorite of the stories. Mm -hmm. Not to say yeah. real or not real just yet, but it's I like it. <laughs> the last sentence makes it feel like it could be a story that parents told kids so they stay away from the cocaine, you know? Yeah. And murder. murder. Well, I would hope both, but you know. <clears throat> no, well, you can't. You know, nah. 
You could have both, I guess, if you really wanted it. Well, that's what what's funny with that, though. So if you're telling it to your kids, I would I would tell them simply, you doing coke will make the dog pop up. So now if I'm a kid and I hear that, like, oh, I can do coke just as long as I don't kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. why not just do it at coke? Like, no, sometimes if you do cocaine, this dog will show up, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Because most people aren't intending to get high and kill somebody. I mean, at least I don't think so. <laughs> well, I think it's also just in general, you killed somebody unjust, you know, and then you did cocaine. So. Oh, so it's not while you're on cocaine? Yeah. I thought it was like. I think it's just so if either, you... either or. So. I think you had to kill somebody unjust, but I don't think you had. Yeah. To. Maybe you did, but. Have to be on cocaine. Ooh. I can yeah. read. It. I I can kind of read it as either. Yeah, or. he's only visible I, to like, cocaine users who have killed somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, you no, right here. You have to be on cocaine, and you have to commit murder. So yeah, Ooh. okay. So yeah, it would have to be. Okay, so just don't do cocaine or commit murder. All right. Not, well, I mean, <laughs> I advocate for murder. So maybe, maybe it's also <laughs> done by drug lords and other people. Like you know, don't don't try your supply. You know, don't do cocaine because you're going to commit murder and you're going to screw up and go to prison or get killed yourself. So, I'm... Mm. But, but technicality is aside, it does. This does sound like something that could be true. Like it could be a story. Mm. Weird, you know, to include both, but mm. I could see people saying they see this white dog. And Yeah, mm. especially if you're on that shit for days um, at a time. Yeah. yeah. It's like meth. I mean I I'm inclined to say this is a true story. So well, I got to throw the bad, too. So I had two red flags on this. So mm. the butcher, usually people in that profession are not on record being quoted word for word like is included here. Mm. Uh, so that makes me be like, okay, is that is that real? Like, did, did he really say that? And that makes me question the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but other than that, that's the biggest red flag, except... The very long names. Does everybody have like four freaking names? Yeah, yeah, they do. That is a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I've got four names. In fact, uh, they they get up to like <laughs> five names, five or six. <laughs> and that's yeah. just in you know um, Latin culture. I was gonna say that's a lot more unusual mm-hmm. for Americans. Yeah, we we normally go more, no more than like four, maybe five. I guess. But yeah. Right. Well, apologies. I didn't. I didn't know that. I, but I've never looked at a list of names like this. I'm like, geez, that's a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, that being said, I'm right in the middle. I'm fifty fifty on this one. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I believe it. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool story, yeah. though. All right, huh? last one. All right, let me get my wheel up here. 
<laughs> and uh, no, uh, funny enough, it's still letting me spin the wheel, even though there's only one selection. Nice. So we're gonna spin. <laughs> Like I really record. don't. <laughs> you should have put like one little <laughs> slither in there. That was like, <laughs> it was like nothing. <laughs> don't read anything. <laughs> oh man. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up today with the story of La Noria, the literal ghost town. Setting: La Noria, an abandoned town in the Atacama Desert in Chile. A brief but important historical account and setting of the scene. <clears throat> Lenoria was founded in 1826 as a saltpeter mining town, and it flourished until a fire in 1901. It limped along after that until the creation of the artificial process for potassium nitrate, and the town was then finally abandoned entirely. As one might imagine, a flourishing mining town anywhere in the world during that time was less likely to adhere to something like our modern OSHA standards. Naturally, putting it that way uh, is a bit of an understatement because condition, conditions for those living and working in La Noria were not simply a tad light on safety protocols. This was Chile in the 1800s, and those living and working in La Noria were essentially treated as slave labor and scraped by to survive under what we could consider today to be human rights violations. As a result, death was a constant companion to those of all ages in La Noria. <clears throat> Due to a manner of causes such as disease, outbreak, malnutrition, or extreme lack of safety regulations in the workplace. Whenever a death would occur, the descendants would be... What? Would be buried just outside the town at what is today... In Infamous cemetery. I think that meant the deceased. Oh, I'm like, wait, somebody died and they would bury their children? Like, oh, <laughs> hey, your daddy's dead. We got to bury you. You has descended. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Anyway, they did not bury the kids. They, they buried the dead people outside the town in what is today an infamous cemetery. Why is it so infamous? Well, because the graves were often shallow and likely dug on top of one another anyway. And weathering over time has rather easily caused a shocking number of skeletal remains to be exposed to <coughs> the surface. It's also apparent that graves have been disturbed by people who have no issue disrespecting and disturbing the resting places of individuals who already received little to no respect in regard to life. Ah, this is evidenced by the fact that some coffins have been entirely hauled up and had their lids removed to expose the remains inside. As these people are well known to have been destitute, it's highly unlikely this was done by grave robbers. No, this was instead clearly done by people who had nothing better to do than treat actual human moraines like Halloween decorations in an effort to make the town look scarier. The Chilean government seemingly has no intentions to clean up the cemetery either, leaving it to sit in the condition it's in. Alright, so here's the part that keeps people away. Ch Chileans who live near La Noria reportedly refuse to get too close to it, and they allegedly attempt to deter tourists from visiting the town as well. One might think this has to do with the graves being disturbed and the locals trying to keep further damage from happening, but one could be wrong. No, no. According to the accounts, La Noria still has a booming population and incredibly active nightlife. In particular, experiences and sightings include seeing spirits walking from the cemetery back toward the town around sundown, seeing children playing around schoolhouses, seeing shadowy figures in the streets, hearing disembodied voices, 
EVPE. Why? <laughs> Sorry. Why are the what? <laughs> just the way you said EVP. <laughs> I'm just trying to flow along. I expected one of those weird parentheses notes after it, but there wasn't one. So it's like, oh, EVP. <laughs> so, so why are the uh, former residents haunting La Noria? Obviously, La Noria was not a happy place. Such locations are often said to have hauntings associated with them due to violence, despair, and other negative feelings those haunting it probably felt in life. It was also their home, no matter how unhappy they may have been there. Where else would they haunt? Of course, another component is the disturbed cemetery. Many believe it has everything to do with the spirits there being restless. Their graves having been so neglected and outright disrespected, it would seem these people who were treated so poorly with a plight so largely ignored during the times during their time are perhaps not content with the same treatment continuing in death as well. So what uh, do you guys think about that one? It's real. Yeah, I'd have to say that's probably real. I mean, you, just... you know what though? This is too straightforward. This is there's it, it is. everything else was five freaking pages long, and this was like a page and a half. <laughs> I I feel like there would have been some more embellishing if this was a made up story. Like there's there's nothing even complex about the like. It's just some graves that's, that that's what makes it real though. But Think it's too it. easy. It's like it's the low hanging fruit. Like well. <clears throat> this isn't even paranormal. It's just people dug up some bodies, you know? I know there's slight sightings, but I mean you get that all over the place. No. Mm. This one's fake. This is fake <laughs> as hell. Well. Josh, what do you think? I really don't know. I I want to say it's real, but it, it, Shane makes a pretty fucking valid point. Like, uh, yeah, he does. Okay, I'm gonna say it's fake. I'm gonna change my mind. Say it's fake. <laughs> I mean, everything else had like maybe that. Maybe she's doing this to throw us off, guys. Maybe could it be that simple? Mm. I, 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 I'm I'm <clears throat> gonna gamble and say it, it is fake. Like I could see her doing this and just grabbing some random BS story, but I don't. After the other ones, reading through, I don't. I don't think so. There was oh, so yeah. much detail on the other ones. Well, I have the results. She went on ahead and emailed them to me. Well, hold on. Are we gonna give our um, final? <clears throat> okay. Um. So the first story, the wandering ghost of Boudica, I said was was real, and I still think it's real. I okay. could be wrong. Hey, let's let's do a a tally on all of us. Okay, you know I'm competitive, so you yeah. you say real for that one. Yeah. Okay. And that was the wandering ghost. Yeah. I don't believe that story. Okay, so you say fake, and I also yeah. say fake. Okay. Um, the witch of Anishup. Um, I said, huh? I said possibly <clears throat> on that one. I think that one's real. All right. So real. Josh, I don't think possibly is an acceptable answer. Yeah, I know it. Uh, no. 
No, I don't right. believe it's real. So fake. I also yep. think that's fake. All right. Um, the Sheraton Asylum. I think this one's real. I think this one's fake. <laughs> and I think this one's real. Me and Josh have the same one so far. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right. Um, the Death Dog. And I think I said that one was real. No, I don't believe that one. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say that one's wrong. That one's not real. Now you're going to say fake, too? Yeah. <sighs> I'm going to have to. I'm so... If it wouldn't have had the quote from the butcher, I think I would have believed it. But that... Mm. So, we're all fake on that one. All right. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> The town, I'm going to say, is real. Yeah. Oh, okay. Finally, me and Josh got a different answer. I, I, think, I, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to go with real on that one, right. possibly. Yeah, I'm sticking with fake. So I think they're all fake except the the asylum. I, I really do, too. <laughs> but I I don't know. That one feels a little realer to me, that last story. Right. Just because it's so well, short. Here you go. Here we go. <laughs> um the ghost town um it is an actual abandoned town in chile in fact every bit of this entire history that i included is true as it is unfortunately the state of the notorious cemetery in fact the hauntings are also reportedly true so that one is true sing bow <laughs> so <clears throat> um the Death Dog, you may uh, recognize some familiar names on the list. No, because we can't pronounce them. Uh, <laughs> of well-known figures who reportedly encounter their ultimate demise. Uh, lots of them were made and famous by their connections. I'll forgive you if you're not being able to recognize all of them. None. I, actually, I did recognize one because I've been watching uh, Narcos. Um if you if you did, I'd be wondering why you sit around memorizing the names of dead drug lords and the cocaine war. Because it's interesting, honey. That gum. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, the death dog uh, cocaine monster had nothing to do with their deaths as he is made up. Nice. <clears throat> as is his friend, Miguel, who fed him so well. Also, okay, I don't have to work. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe I was inspired by Tommy watching Narcos in the next room. <laughs> nice. Oh. Wait, so she just made, she up, that made up that whole story? story. That was pretty well written, written for something that was just made up out of nowhere. <laughs> I do know at least Tommy can't be used as a guinea pig to see whether he'll appear when you inevitably make your trip to Lenora. <laughs> Shane can also rest easy knowing he doesn't have to worry about the ominous white demon dog appearing just because of that one trip he took in um, Honduras. How, she wasn't how supposed to know about that. Look, she wasn't supposed to bring it up, okay? I told her not to. <laughs> Um, okay, <clears throat> the asylum. Every bit of the history I included is a hundred percent authentic, including the list of famous figures who called it home for a time. Any of their autobiographical information included is also real, such as you know the Marquise and all that. Um, 
all of that was true. However, Sheraton is not currently sitting around as abandoned ruins for urban explorers to invade. It's still a function hospital that was rebranded as another name that I can't pronounce. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and the hospital has no reported haunted, so that one's fake. That one's not real. It's a real hospital, but the story's fake. Uh, yeah. So, the wandering ghost of Boudicca. Boudicca was actually a real historical figure, and she's beloved by the English, which is odd because she was Celtic. Uh, the Brits tend to identify more with Anglo-Saxon identity. Uh, sorry, honey, we're running long. So, uh, I found numerous mm-hmm. rumors uh, or numerous accounts of her ghost popping up. Uh, if the stories are believed, I I found numerous uh, accounts of her ghost popping up around the various places I mentioned, in the fashion I recounted in the case. You may have picked up on it, but I do rec remained skeptical that she was spotted at places such as Stonehenge only during the window of time. People thought she might be buried there or freaking King's cross station of all places. Seriously. But yes, that part was also true. And some guy, uh, proposed she was buried beneath platform nine and 10 for whatever reason. I will say this. I'll say that if there is a real ghost out there, I would hope for Boudicca to be the real one. She is badass. So that is a real story. Ah, I was right. That's two I've gotten yeah. wrong. And what well, this would be the final one, the Witch of Ernenshoop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ernenshoop is a real place. All that history bit at the beginning, including the gifting of the land to the monastery, was true. Um. He was, you know, the Duke was the Duke during the time of our story, and it would seem that he was too busy for a time to care about uh, much of pursuing the crown of Denmark based on nothing but tedious claims and big dreams. Uh, yeah, he never became king. Google also does say that and had a current population of 720 people, which initially that's what made it interesting to me, looking into its history. Uh and the witch, I wanted to, <clears throat> what does it say? I saw the land gifted to the monastery in Risbits, and the witch I wanted to invent suddenly became a nun. Oh, it's not real. It just all took off from there. All three of you should be perfectly safe to go swimming in the waters around there. Not for nothing, but I'm sorry if any. Man, I wanted a t-shirt. It's not real. The t-shirt's not real, guys. Oh, we're making the T-shirt. It's real. So, so the real <laughs> ones were the ghost town, um, wandering Boudica, and that's it, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. If you would have got that last one right, Tommy, I would have been like, you fucking cheated because you got every one except that iron shoot. I still think you cheated. <laughs> I, I, how do you think I cheated? I did, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So. Because <laughs> you won. Tommy doesn't win things. Cheater. <laughs> Maybe I know my wife too well. Yeah, that's cheating too. 
Anyway. I, you're not allowed to know your wife. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just mad because I'm in last place, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bitter. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Salty on Yeah, I am. <laughs> Anyways, I guess because we run long, um I guess we're gonna end it right there. And uh, you know, if y'all enjoyed that, let us know in the comments. Rate us, give us that five star rating if you really enjoyed that. If you hated how I uh, butchered all those uh, Hispanic names, then um, call me an idiot in the comments. I'll take that as well. Um, and you know, check out our. We do, do we still have the merch shop? Mm-hmm. Right, check out our merch shop, and if you want to see Shane's awesome spinning wheel of decision, that's what I'm going to call it. Um, nice. You know, join our Patreon, and you can see it. And you can also see us all looking like, well, idiots most of the time on all the other episodes. So, <clears throat> and check out our YouTube. Uh, we got investigations and stuff over there. So check that out and follow us on all social media, except for the one that has no name called Instagram. So, hmm. and as always, tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.